So this was a podcast with Riz from Words of Wisdom. I loved every second of it and it felt like talking to a big brother. So I can't wait for you to listen to it and I just want to dive right in. I do want to say that unfortunately we ran into some technical issues and around the 50 minute mark it cut out. Um, which only means that we're going to have to do another podcast again in the future. I really hope you enjoy it. There's so much wisdom packed in here, which is ironic. Not ironic, but yeah, you get me. Anyways, let's jump into it. So we're back with episode 34 of the This That podcast, and today is going to be a fun one. Uh, I was actually put on to today's guest by my friend Kyle Mayer, and welcome to the show, Riz. How you doing? Thank you, thank you for having me. I'm all good, thank you. All good. Awesome. What I want to do is I want to start by asking you about the tweet that put me on to you. So you put out a tweet saying, if anyone would like me to go on their podcast, feel free to hit me up. If you'd like me to be on someone else's podcast, tag them below and maybe they'll reach out. What's the what's all the thought process behind that? Thought process is that obviously I host a podcast and you know, I've always wanted to do a podcast from many years ago. And so I know what it's like, first of all, to try and host a podcast and try and find guests. It's very difficult, you know. And, um, you know, so one, obviously being able to be open for other people to use me as a guest, first of all. But even second of all, by having my podcast, and thankfully it's grown quite a lot more recently over recent months. A lot of people have been asking to hear about, you know, my story or, you know, more from me. And one thing I've learned from podcasting so far is people, it's not really actually what I thought it was originally, which is like people actually having a conversation. It's actually more like an interview. So then I realized I can't really talk on my own podcast about me. So I need to go on other people's podcasts if people want to hear, you know, I let other people interview me to hear about myself, I guess. Yeah, I love it. I love the thought behind it as well. Um, and having listened to a few of your podcasts, there's little bits and pieces that you'll interject here and there and kind of share a little bit of your story. But I love the sentiment about hearing a kind of full rendition of your life. I think mm. the best thing I want to do is I want to start with your pinned tweet because I think that's got so much in it that I want to explore. So mm. for the people listening, your pinned tweet says, if you haven't got results in trading yet, but you still drink alcohol, smoke weed, vape, masturbate, smoke cigarettes in excess, you have to question if you're taking this seriously enough. Can you explain a little bit about that for me and what that means to you? Definitely. So, you know, trading itself and just generally anything that you want to be hyper successful at, or at least be in that, say, 1% of a successful group, you have to be willing to sacrifice and you have to be a very disciplined individual um, and consistent individual. And you know, smoking weed in, and the main word really is in excess, right? In excess, mm. because you know, I'm not here to say that if you smoke weed or if you drink at all, or if you do any of these things in you know, small amounts or in a balanced view, um, that, you know, they're completely negative and you will never be successful. Um, I do truly believe there are a lot of people who are doing these things who definitely shouldn't be doing these things. Uh, but there are people I know of who drink quite consistently and even smoke quite consistently, and they still do very well. Right. I'm just not one of those people. And I think that a lot of people aren't, you know, wouldn't be able to categorize themselves uh, among those people either. But it really stems from the fact that trading in particular requires you to be in control of your basic impulses. Right. And that's what a lot of these things work off. The, the alcohol, of course, um, your weed, vaping, 
masturbation, of course, you know, the most basic of, of impulses. And yet society right now, and especially the way we're continuing to go, really doesn't really promote these things, essentially. So there's not like advertisement telling you to do it, but it's widely accepted. You know, pornography is at an all time high in terms of its viewership. And, uh, you know, there's a, a huge lack of uh, narrative of of uh, control, you know, being able to control yourself or uh, talking about, say, sexual energy and, and having that basic impulse control over yourself, um, let alone, of course, talking about vaping, for example, which is really taken over everywhere. Um, you know, and, and we have had, of course, Andrew Tate talk about vaping. And I think if anything, he was probably the only one who really talked about vaping and kind of planted this seed of idea that, you know, you know what, vaping is actually these really cheap chemicals from God knows where. And yet yeah. everyone's just so willing to just get this vape and say, hey, this is watermelon favor and then just smoke it up. So really, it just comes down to the basic impulses. And most of all, as I tried to allude to in the tweet as well, is that it's something I suffered with. I was the person smoking weed every single day, you know, yet still talking about being successful and trying to work hard, etc. And though I would still work hard, a lot of my decisions were based off smoking weed. I was smoking every single day for over a year, for sure. Um, large amounts as well. And at the time, I thought it was cool. At the time, I thought, oh, I'm so cool. I can smoke this much weed. I feel like, I feel like uh, Snoop Dogg. I feel like Wiz Khalifa. You know? <laughs> I, can, I can smoke all this weed. And, and yet I still you know, put in hours and I still go to the gym. Um, so I must be an efficient person and, you know, this is how I can enjoy life when in reality, all I was doing was numbing my emotions, numbing my vision, you know, uh, sort of blurring my vision and, uh, allowing my, you know, my association to weed, uh, dictate my decisions every day, you know? So like, you know, who I hung out with was dictated by who smoked weed. Um, you know, the, the actions I did day to day revolved around if I could smoke weed. Right. Mm -hmm. When in reality, all that was happening was I was destroying my dopamine receptors because every time I was smoking weed, I was getting this hit of dopamine at the time, obviously didn't understand any of this stuff, as you can imagine. Um, and it came to a point where I had a realization that if I and it was actually funnily enough, it was I went to the UFC event in Madison Square Garden in New York. Uh, it's the event. Actually, there's you probably can't see there's a frame back here somewhere. Um, I just moved house. So everything's everywhere. But there normally would be a frame here. <laughs> Uh, from that event and I went uh, to watch Conor McGregor I was a huge Conor McGregor fan at the time and uh, you know this is someone at the time this was when he was literally probably at the height of his career he was about to win the two belts um, at this event and you know at this time he was really big on you know affirmation and law of attraction and obviously was consistent with working uh, you know with his work rate and was very unconventional in, in his training style as well he's very much into movement and stuff like that at the time and i remember being at this event and at the time i was drinking as well so alcohol and i was drinking a lot at the event but i remember having this very profound moment where i was sat looking at the crowd looking and i was quite my seats were quite far back even though i did like this vip experience uh, so I got to like hold the bell and, and sort of be in this private lounge, etc. But my seats were still quite far back. And I remember sitting there, even drunk out of my mind, not really clear on my thoughts, etc. I remember still sitting there and thinking, like, if I actually work hard, if I actually, you know, really change my life and dedicate myself, just as Conor McGregor has, has you know, he was just someone who, you know, was on welfare, for example, which is like benefits, for example. Um, you know, he was someone like that, who was on that, who decided to have a vision, who worked hard, stayed consistent, and especially because this was the message that he was putting out himself at the time too. 
I was like, look, I'm here. And even though I'm at this event, yeah, okay, I've worked hard. I'm at this event. I'm not really progressing in life. You know, really, at the time as well, I couldn't really afford the event. I just did it because I wanted to do it. And uh, again, I've been smoking weed. I've been drinking. And on this day, I'm, I've done the same thing. But yet this profound moment happened and thought came to my mind where it's like, if you really dedicate yourself, you could be sitting, you know, cage side. You could be doing anything that you want in life. You could really achieve absolutely anything. You are capable of doing that. But you're holding yourself back, right? You're holding yourself back. And it really led me back to what my mom's always told me growing up, which was basically, obviously, she doesn't like that I did these things or, or do these things, for example. Uh, but she always said to me that work hard, become successful, and then do these things, right? Because then at least at that point, you've actually can afford to do so. And you've actually worked hard and pushed yourself to do so rather than thinking, you know, enjoying, yeah, enjoying yourself is, is a separate thing, I guess, but like, basically distracting yourself, numbing yourself down, holding yourself back, and yet you haven't achieved what you want to achieve in life. So that's where I've always, you know, because I've seen the difference in myself and who I became after and, and the clarity of mind and thought and the emotional control after coming off the weed and the alcohol and, and uh, you know, stopping the porn and, and the masturbation, for example, all these things. That was why it's uh, a message I, I proudly share even though very taboo, if you will, and maybe even counter some people's think, you know, thought process. Um, so that's why I made that tweet. Mm. There's so much to unpack there and so much I personally relate to as well. The NoFap movement has been a massive thing for me. Um, mm. 2020, I done entirely sober as an experiment to see um, if I what my relationship with alcohol was. Because again, it's impulse control but it's just understanding your relationship with these things and how you emotionally regard them mm. one thing that struck me when you were you're saying all this is you said that you were you were doing both you were working hard but you were also smoking and drinking and everything else and you have this moment of clarity and you switch to someone who's very all or nothing what mm. was that mindset shift like was it just due to that moment of clarity and you're like right this is it i know what i'm doing yeah, 100%. Well, one thing was that I understand myself and I've always been someone who's kind of an extreme, who works in extremes. So I'm either, you know, really hardworking and just focused and sober and, and, and doing that side of things or I'm someone who, I might still work hard, but I'm not sober. I'm, I'm completely the opposite, um, you know, and because I understood that about myself, it makes things a lot easier. You know, I didn't always understand that about myself, but just through recognizing the patterns in my behavior and, and the things that I would do, I would always find myself on one polar side or the other. But the reality of that decision and that moment was true. Exactly as you said, it was literally like an epiphany, if you will. Like a, it was just such profound thoughts in a state of mind which shouldn't have been profound, right? Because mm. I was literally, when I say I was drunk, I was very drunk because as part of that VIP thing, it was an open bar, right? <laughs> Especially as someone who was born Muslim and um, not like heavily religious background, but you know, was you know, definitely religious and definitely, uh, you know, a lot of Asian people and especially Muslims wouldn't talk about drinking alcohol. There's very, you know, you need to keep this hidden. There shouldn't be something that you say to the world. And no doubt, you know, probably my, my wife would agree to that still to this day. But she understands as well why I say it, because there are other people out there in my same exact position who may be going through it or, you know, doing it right now. And they may be holding themselves back. They may be causing themselves harm even but they just don't realize it. And if there's no one who can be that image of themselves as like a mirror reflection, who is willing to admit to being in that position in the past, 
that's why I'm very open. And I really am one of these people who actually don't care. Uh, I feel like I went through many years when I was younger of caring what other people thought and therefore holding back of doing the podcast, for example, and putting out content or being open on social media, for example. And then as I started to let go of that, and the more I was actually putting out content and, and starting the podcast, for example, the more I didn't care about what other people thought, because at the end of the day, the way I see it is that's the reality that I've lived. You know, that, that is what I've done. And, and only through doing that have I become who I am now. And only you know, through doing whatever I do now will I become whoever I will be in the future. And so, yeah, so in that moment, I shouldn't have had really profound thoughts or clarity of thought. And yet those that thought was so dominant at the time that even you know, throughout the rest of that night, the next day, flying back home uh, the day after and you know, literally getting back, I was like, I'm not doing any of this stuff again. Right. Mm. I'm not doing any of it. And it wasn't it was a period of time where I didn't do it. And then there was a period of time where I was like on and off it, trying to fit, convince myself. And this was the the addiction talking, I believe, of saying you can have a balanced relationship. You know, you've been off it for a long period of time now. So you know, now you could have it like once a month or, you know, something along them lines. But I always found myself every time I tried that because of maybe the excess I had done in the past, because of the level I had done it at, in, in the past, that every time I would try it, suddenly it would be back trying to creep its way back into every day or whatever. So um, I literally, it was actually last August where I've just cut everything, you know, mm. everything and I'm happy to do so. And, and I don't see myself going back at all, um, you know, whatsoever. It was like last August and then before last August, it was like November. So there was two large periods. Um, but yeah, I just don't see myself you know, really doing it because a big reason for it as well is when I was doing these things in excess, even after when I said, you know, after that event and I had a nice break and then I was trying to find a balance, but ended up finding myself back in excess again. What had happened was I realized that my mind had associated, uh, you know, like a chill time and relaxation um, with being high or drunk, right? Mm. So therefore, whenever I was sober, I was unhappy. I assumed that the only way to relax was by being high because when you're sober, what can you do? You can't do anything. Or you can watch TV, you can have a meal, uh, you can watch a YouTube video, you can go to the cinema. These are all things that we can just do all the time. And what is that all there is to life? That was my thinking. And, um, you know, and all I was doing was using weed and alcohol as a numbing mechanism, as a, a way to escape reality. Uh, so a form of escapism. So therefore, it was very unhealthy because then essentially all I was saying to myself is life isn't worth living unless I'm high or drunk because I can't enjoy life or switch off unless I'm high or drunk. When in reality, all you're doing is creating a sort of a, a false reality, false sense of reality. You're stepping outside of uh, what is truly you know, happening in your life and you're trying to avoid your problems and, and uh, avoid your stresses, for example, when in reality, all that's going to happen is you're going to be sober the next day they're all going to still be there, right? Those thoughts are still going to be there. Your emotions are still going to be there. If anything, they'll be more heightened because now you've just experienced this numbness and now they're back again. And what are you going to do? You're just going to crave to be high again and alcohol again so or be drunk again. So then it's just a vicious loop and cycle. Um, and only through truly having the intention of being sober and having that clarity of mind and, and that focus again, do you start to really understand your emotions and, and have balanced a more balanced approach to life? And then you actually start to enjoy life itself 
you know and yes stresses will come and and there'll be hardships and adversities but you actually are able to handle them rather than trying to avoid them or escape them through using some form of coping mechanism hmm. it sounds like so much of this knowledge and wisdom you've gained is just through trial and error and these experiences and working through those emotions themselves is there any like advice you could give to someone who's maybe 21 22 23 and is it possible for them to actually take that on board or can they only truly learn these lessons from going through those experiences themselves and working through them I think there's a bit of both. I think there is a bit of both. I think by having someone who you can relate to, see yourself in, or can uh, really resonate with, and especially if that person is able to explain it in a way that does make sense to you, that can help. But I do believe a huge part of it is experience itself. Um, because I was someone who, at that age, well, uh, roughly about 16, 17, 18, I never touched alcohol. I'd never... I'd tested weed in like secondary school and then was not on it would never was addicted or anything like that it was literally like you know just not social pressure but just being around other people doing it you end up doing it and uh so there was but there was never this tie to it at that age so it was never an issue and i was very religious at that time as well so i was always someone who said like i'm never gonna drink i'm never gonna smoke i never have to worry about these things and people would say it to me as well like riz if there's any advice and these people would be like, you know, 23 or 25 or 26 around that age. And they would say to me, like, Riz, if there's any advice I could give you, you know, just make sure you stay away from alcohol or weed. And I'd be like, yeah, I don't touch that stuff. I'll never do that stuff. Right. Mm. Um, so I kind of already knew these things. But then, yet yeah, I found myself in certain situations, you know, in the workplace, for example, you know, and there's no excuse for it, really. And there was never I've never been pressured into anything either. Um, but you just find yourself being acceptable you know agreeable to to trying things or doing things because that's the environment you're in or that's just what you may even want to do at the time um and then suddenly it can become a very vicious loop quite naturally you know without before you even know it before you even realize it but it was only through going through the experience um for myself that i was able to actually gauge why was this so negative and don't get me wrong if i could go back would that be something i would change or wish i could change Potentially, because I think obviously it is wasted potential and time. And that's the one thing in life that you can't get back. But again, as I said earlier, like if I didn't do those things, would I have you know, gained the experience and the insight into myself and been able to really, truly understand myself to know that I could handle uh, life without you know, these uh, vices? You know, would I truly understand what these vices even do to us? You know, without mm. actually experiencing it, for example. So in a way it's kind of a combination of the two. And in terms of what people can do, I feel like, as you said about, you know, understanding your relationship, I think that's very important because only when you try to abstain and stay away from something, can you truly understand how much of a hold does it have on you? Uh, how, how is it that your thought process towards this thing becomes, is it, you know, are you, is it quite normal and fine and, and you're quite calm and, and you don't really feel it and you do it with quite ease Therefore, you could assume that you have quite a good relationship then and could good uh, impulse control. Or as many will find, I believe, they actually struggle with it. They will crave it, right? They'll find them, especially when it comes to being in situations like, you know, um, someone's birthday party or, you know, uh, you've been invited to a certain event or the lads are meeting up to go to the pub, for example. You know, are you still going to be able to be in these social settings and be able to control yourself and be fine with like not drinking? Right. Especially when, say, the lads, for example, are trying to push you, you know. So, like, for example, 
it was a really big awakening for me when I quit, you know, after that event and I quit the weed. And as I was saying, at the time I was smoking weed every single day and all my decisions were based on smoking weed. So all my friends, of course, at the time were smoking weed. Now, what I didn't do was say, I need, I'm quitting weed, so I need to get rid of, uh, rid of these people. That's not what I did. Mm. What I did, though, was come back and tell those people, I'm quitting weed, I'm, I'm quitting alcohol, I want to work hard. And uh, once I've achieved something, then I want to do these things, right? And I said to them, like, you guys should probably think about doing the same thing, but that's what I'm going to do. And suddenly these little comments of, oh, you're turning religious. Oh, you know, all these little weird things were being said. Um, and then I realized that's when I had to cut these people off because they didn't care about me. Right. They didn't care about me for real. They didn't care. They cared about my uh, benefit to the group, me providing the weed for everyone or or you know, being someone who could, you know, roll a split, for example. Or, you know, I, they just been, they just uh, saw me as that. They didn't see me for me. They didn't care about me. So therefore, I had to make that choice. If they were, for example, supportive and they continue to do whatever they wanted to do. No problem. But the fact was that I recognized these comments. I recognized this shift in energy when I'd made this choice for myself. So therefore I had to cut these people off. And mm. I think in terms of actionable steps, as I say, people do have to in some form experience it, but then also they can resonate with the information. I think nowadays, especially with the information where you can learn about dopamine and how you know weed and alcohol works on our dopamine receptors and the neural sort of chemistry of our brains, for example, you can learn about these things without having to experience it at an excess level, for example, and you can then at least understand why scientifically it's not good for ourselves to put ourselves in those situations. So I feel like education is a massive part because I know that in schools, for example, they teach us about you know, gateway drug and drugs are bad, but they don't teach us in depth. They don't teach us really the science behind it as why do you get addictive? Why is it dangerous to be addictive to this drug that might not essentially kill you? Might not essentially change your life. Like if you, you were to compare weed and heroin, obviously it's two huge different things, right? And in school, of course, they'll tell you crystal meth, heroin, all these things are completely bad, never touch them, right? Even then they don't go into the science of it. But in terms of weed, why aren't they explaining the, because it is a, not a gateway drug, but it's the one that's so readily available, very acceptable in society nowadays, right? Um, and legalized in many countries as well. And yet still the science behind it. Right. Even talking about the difference between THC and CBD, for example, how we now have hybrid weed, even the legalization of weed has created this hybrid weed where they've increased the THC content and reduced the CBD. When in reality, actual natural weed that grows from the ground has a high CBD content and a low THC. So you'd still get a high, but very much less so than comparison to the weed that is available, uh, readily available to the majority of people nowadays. Again, so much knowledge dropped to unpack there in one, in one thing. There's a few things I want to touch on. One that really resonated with me there was your point on you coming back and telling your friends, oh, I'm stopping this, I'm stopping this, I'm stopping this, and seeing that shift in the energy. And I've noticed that a few times, and I think the litmus test for me is if you tell them you're doing that thing and someone turns around and they go, oh, why are you doing that? I'm curious, like, how are you going to go about that? Or why is that important to you? You know that's a true friend, someone to stick around. Mm. But if someone then tries to put their own ideals onto you, that's like, oh, you should do this because I do this or I'm interested in this or I think this is best. That's mm. that's the way to know who's got your interest, your best interest in mind. Um, yeah. Something so present across all of what you said there is you talk about the social pressures 
and that's the reason that people kind of involve themselves with these obsessions whether it be weed whether it be alcohol it's pretty much the social pressure whether it's the boys down the pub or anywhere else could you speak to me the importance of being a bit of an outsider a bit of a weirdo and how that kind of manifests into like your different pursuits because I know you've got the podcast and the trading and you're big on Instagram and stuff as well so just tell me a little bit more about why it's good to be a bit different I think you know being a bit different is kind of necessary in a sense because obviously to be part of the say one percent of people who are progressing right and it doesn't mean like when I talk about progressing I don't just mean in terms of like success as what you know many would view it as just as like monetary success or material item success but even generally like if we just talk mindset you know if we just talk mindset for for a moment how many people have control of their emotions and are balanced in their mindset the minority you know a minority of people so even then to be part of the one percent of successful people who have control of their mindset so in terms of being successful at being emotionally controlled um again you have to be different because essentially the way it is is that there's the masses right the majority of people right and they're going to do what the majority of people do these statistics will stay the same for them versus the people who are willing to put in work and be self-reflective and be self-accountable and to take themselves out of the social norms. And that allows them time, for example. So just alone, like if you stop doing all the social norms of and social outings, what's that going to allow you to do? Two, it'll give you clarity of mind, because if you're not partaking in, say, the drinking consistently and the smoking weed consistently or whatever activity it may be, uh, it could even just be like the cinema consistently, for example, you know, so rather than just consuming consistently, you will then have that clarity of mind, but then you will also have the time to be able to choose how you use that to your benefit and your growth. So for me, for example, obviously, it, it really is helpful not being, and I, I'm kind of guilty of it in one sense. Like I said, I, I'm quite a person in an extreme, so I'll have periods where I'm out all the time, right? Not like all hours of the day, but I'll consistently go out in the evenings, for example. But I've already done a, days of work, a day of work, for example. But then there are also periods of time where I'm extremely just at home, not going out at all. Right. And therefore using that time to my benefit, even if it's not, say, work related, even if it's not like, um, you know, try learning new skills or anything like that, or even spending time planning content or building content or anything like that, even if it's just spending time with the family. You know, the way I see it is that you're going to have all these different you wear these different hats right in life. You know, you could be a podcaster, you can be a trader, you'll be a husband, you'll be a father, you'll be a friend, you'll be um a content creator you'll be you know whatever job role you may have in life as well but all of these things are separate and all of them require attention and all of them and, and that's where people can struggle with and i have struggled massively in the past um less so now but in the past i would struggle massively in trying to balance these things and trying to keep a balance with these things and be hyper successful in all of these things because you know at the end of the day it's a lot to manage the reality is if we're trying to be successful and be more than the average, right, separate ourselves from the masses, that's one thing we have to be willing to do. And secondly, it's understanding that it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to be the perfect father all the time, the perfect husband all the time. You're not going to be the perfect podcaster all the time or the perfect content creator all the time or the perfect trader all the time. What you're trying to do is just uh, the analogy I always use is spinning plates, right? If you remember, there's like, you know, like... Um, 
I don't know, like those clown shows or like things they would do when you were younger, maybe you'd see them spin these plates on, on sticks. Right. Mm. And they would have like eight plates being spun at the same time. But the reality is they're not just spinning one plate constantly. Right. They're not just spinning one plate constantly. If they do that, the rest of them fall. So you can't just focus on one thing. If you have the eight plates, for example, though, not all of them are spinning at the same speed. Some of them are beginning to slow down. Right. And they need your attention if they're going to stay up. And that's the way I sort of saw the different roles. And that's what helped me to realize that I'm not going to have the perfect balance in everything. Even with like the outgoings, as you say, like uh, going out with people and having those social settings, they're still necessary to maintain relationships, but also for your own mental health and your own enjoyment, because you're not working hard for nothing. You're not working hard, so you just work hard. You're working hard so you can enjoy life too. And there's a balance that needs to be had there. So that is one of the plates that you also spin. And yeah, so like when things begin to slow down in one area, for example, or it needs your attention. So let me take a personal example. As someone who is a father and a husband, if I am because of my focus too much on, say, trading or podcasting or content creation or maybe my own social settings, even right at some point, if I'm putting my focus too much on this side, that side can suffer. Right. And therefore, if I recognize it's suffering or my wife would tell me, hey, you know, you're not giving us enough time or you're spending too much time, you know, you're doing your, your other stuff, your gym, your, your podcasting, your, your trading. And it's, you know, it's, it's affecting things at home or we want that time. Okay, now what do I do? I need to divert some attention from over this side. Um, so divert that attention from whether it's the podcasting, whether it's the trading, whatever it is, divert some energy and attention over here because those plates need to be spun. They need to stay up. Otherwise, they're going to fall. Otherwise, they're going to crumble. So that's what, allow again, so going back to, again, like those social pressures. Okay, it doesn't matter about the social pressures now because I need to go focus energy over here to improve oh. this area of life to be able to push forward with that and be able to handle this multitude of, of different things and, and the different roles that I, I have in life. I love what you're mentioning in there about the different plates. And I've got one very specific question. I've spoke to a few recent fathers and husbands who have either recently got married, recently had kids, and they spoke about this incredible sense of obligation and accountability that they have for their partners and their children and how that actually gave them a massive boost and motivation to provide for their family and do better in their jobs go to the gym more because they have someone they have to provide for is that something you've noticed as well and what what's that actual feeling like it's something i've noticed but for me in comparison to what i've heard from other people it wasn't instant you know I've heard from a lot of people where like, you know, they're at the birth of their child and instantly, you know, they're, they're brought to tears or they feel this overwhelming feeling of becoming a father and, and seeing their child for the first time. But I'll be honest, I didn't have that. Um, I was kind of waiting for it. Maybe my anticipation threw it off. I don't know, but it didn't happen straight away. Um, especially when I first got married, I didn't understand what marriage actually was. You know, I didn't, and I, I truly just thought it's kind of like, yeah, you have a partner now who you do things with and stuff, but you know, you're still just who you are and you do your own thing still. And then they do their own thing. And then at the end of the day, you just come together and stuff. I didn't really take on board the responsibility. And maybe that was because of my age at the time. I think I was, uh, I got married when I was 23. Um, and I became a father, but before, just before I turned 24. So I was quite young at the time still. And therefore, they'll still experience to, 
to be had and and there was I was still quite mature for my age but there's still more maturity to come and I definitely do put down a lot of the success a lot of the drive and the the sort of mindset down to uh the getting married and and becoming a father for sure but my, it came a bit later for me after I made some immature mistakes you know so like uh, one story I have told before which is you know I, I gambled the rent money in trading you know I put the rent money into into an account thinking, yeah, I'm just going to quickly flip this. I'll take it back out. You know, immature mistakes. Right. And this is these are the sort of mistakes of someone who's a bachelor, someone who, you know, doesn't have these responsibilities. Right. And uh, therefore, that was a that was a massive awakening. That was something that really shifted not only my mindset, um, but also my trading journey. It was a huge shift in my trading journey because that was the realization that, look, you do have your wife to look after you do have a child you have to raise and provide for so you can't afford to be doing this stupid shit you know you can't be afford to be doing stupid mistakes like that that are literally you know inexcusable even for someone who is a bachelor still inexcusable but it's even worse because these people rely on you you know you are the one who are providing for them so essentially you aren't working for one person you're working for three people right if you, if you dry up if you don't succeed if you don't work hard then that's three people out who are out of the system. You know, that's three people out completely. And not only the two of them being adults, one being a child, that means that child is going to suffer, right? So that was when it started to really hit me more and more when I was going through these experiences and recognizing, again, I was going through this period where I was uh, trying the whole balance with the weed, for example, during this time. And again, it was another thing that was uh, brought that awakening where it's like, you can't afford to be trying, even if you had a balance, you can't afford to be doing this. Right. You can't afford for your mind to be unclear. You're, you can't afford for your emotions to be out of whack. Right. Just because you want to escape, just because you find maybe the pressure a bit too much. Right. Which is easy to find, especially if you're smoking weed, because suddenly you're escaping those thoughts. You're escaping those responsibilities for, you know, four hour period, six hour period. Right. And then when you cut, when they start to flood back in and you start to feel that pressure again, which is good, that pressure is good. But if you see it and perceive it as bad, or perceive it as a negative, or perceive it as a problem, then of course you're going to try and run away from it. You're going to crumble under it, right? You're going to find it heavier than it actually needs to be. So a lot of it does come down to your perception. Um, and again, that perception I had to grow into of the father role, the husband role. And even to this day, I'm still learning. You know, even to this day, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And Again, education-wise, if we're talking, you know, we talked about, you know, weed, alcohol, not much education. I don't think they educate as much on, you know, what the roles actually mean. And maybe it's not their job to, to be fair. Maybe it's not their job to. But I think, you know, maybe that's where podcasts come in. That's where we come in as the people, you know. We get to educate each other um, of, you know, what it takes. But, like, I did, had no idea what, you know, children bring. I, don't, I had no idea what being a father, you know, would be like. And And maybe it's not even just in terms of each other. I think maybe even... Um, you know, our families, you know, we should be a bit more open about discussing what it's like to actually, you know, have children and, and the responsibilities and even having a partner. Like, I don't think there was much discussion in it within my household growing up. Um, there definitely wasn't, I, I don't hear many other people even having many discussions like that. And I think it's something that's very, definitely should be very helpful because I feel a lot of people sometimes find themselves becoming parents very, very young, you know, and yet they don't have any clue of what that brings, you know, in terms of raising a, a soul into this world, the next generation, if you will. Uh, same with being a partner. I see a lot of people, you know, they 
they get married very early or very quickly and they don't know what it brings you know and that's probably why we see the divorce rate the uh, the way it is you know and why we see a lot of people who do get married and end up getting you know divorced or separate quite quickly thereafter because they probably weren't prepared for the reality of uh, of what that brings to the table so i was quite lucky in the sense that i had a partner who you know, stuck by me and who gave me the time to catch up if you will and gave me the time to uh, learn from mistakes and learn on the job, if you will. Mm. You said, and there that there wasn't much of a discussion within your kind of household as to what it means to be a father, what it means to be a partner. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, between the way you were raised and the way you want to raise your family, what would be some of the differences and what would be the similarities? Yeah, like the the, the interesting thing is, I was raised amazingly, especially for given the situation, because my father had passed away when I was like five years old and therefore my mum had no you know sacrificed everything to make sure she provided for me and my uh, two sisters um and she did that you know she did that she did that amazingly well and um you know she she even you know built a success for herself you know even like in property and in the law profession so you know she's done amazingly well and I would say that I probably even had a better upbringing than people who have say even a stable home right and have Mm. two parents so there isn't much to change in that sense but i feel like just maybe open communication would be the only thing really that i could say is like you know being able to communicate about you know weed or alcohol being able to share that not saying that you know my wife kind of worries a little bit about it like me being a bit open talking about it uh, in case they would uh, take on board that you know it's okay to do because dad did it for example right Mm. i feel more like hey look i did this and i actually realized it was wrong for me right because of this, actually, you know, share my experience, share my learning, um, and just making sure that they understand that they can always talk about anything, you know. And I know that a lot of people, even my mom, would say the same thing. To be fair, um, but also maybe sharing some of the things I failed at, you know, sharing some of the things that I did, I didn't do well, you know, sharing some of the things that I suck at, you know, or I still struggle with, you know, whether it's stuff like l- listening, you know, or whether it's stuff like you know uh, showing up, you know, um, you know, all the time or being present for example, you're just trying to show that, look, we all have flaws and it's fine. You know, it's fine. And, and that's the whole point of recognizing them as the first step so that we can improve them and try and remove them. Um, so in terms of like, how would I change? That would really be the only thing, to be honest with you. And, you know, even me, like, I would say that right now I'm spoiling my daughter. You know, she's only young. She's obviously, she's only just turned four. But like, am I, is it at an age where she will recognize that and expect that moving forward? Is that, is that really bad? You know, how's that going to show up? And, um, you know, again, it's like I said earlier, I'm still learning, you know, I'm still learning and I'm by no means like the perfect father or husband, but, uh, I just try to be the best that I can be. And I, I recognize where I can improve, you know, and, and I try to improve, you know, consistently. Mm. I appreciate you for being so open and honest and vulnerable with that. Um, going on a bit of a tangent from that as well, we were just talking about accountability in terms of the family. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could speak more on that in terms of perhaps success or ambition or um, having friends there as accountable accountable people. Because something I noticed on your Twitter is you're showing up every day, showing people that you're there, you're posting on your Telegram how important is it for people to know that there's others doing the same thing? I think it is important for two main reasons. One being obviously the competitive edge as well. 
Like if this person's mm. doing it, why aren't I doing it? You know, I don't want this person to outwork me. You know, sometimes it's even good if it's someone you don't like, because then it really will push, push you off and push you, right? Because you're like, I don't like this motherfucker, but he's working. <laughs> I, need, you know, I need to outdo this guy, you know? And I respect that. I respect that a lot. Um, but yeah, no, I think it is very important because as I said, you know, when I quit that weed, for example, and I was around those guys, <clears throat> even before I'd quit the weed, and this is kind of like my cop out, if you will, when I was smoking the weed was that I was trying to, I was trying, there's a big difference between obviously trying and doing, but I was trying to inspire these guys who were around me to start working hard together as a team. And then we, yeah, we could celebrate, you know, by smoking weed or celebrate by going out or whatever it may be when we achieve stuff and we hit milestones. Otherwise, what are we doing? Why, what are we celebrating? Right. What are we celebrating each day? So I was always craving that. I was always craving having other people who were working hard too. Right. And having other people that I could work hard with and have accountability with. I just, I was forcing it. I was trying to force it on others. I was trying to, um, you know, inspire others to do it. When in reality, what I realized was work hard first yourself, hold yourself accountable first. Right. And then naturally people will come one by one, Ooh. slowly. You're not forcing it. You're not even looking for them. You, you sometimes do need to put yourself in the position to come across them. Right. So whether that's going to the gym, whether that's going to networking events, whether that's being, you know, uh, active on social media. So like on Twitter, Twitter is a great place for interaction. In comparison to other social media sites, that's where people do interact, right? In comparison to like Instagram, for example, people don't really go back and forth on, on the comment section, right? Um, while on Twitter, obviously it's tweet for tweet and you can create those threads. So like but being, making sure you're putting yourself in those positions to then be around and potentially create those sort of relationships. But I think accountability is, is, is really big because it's, you know, one of my favorite authors is uh, Napoleon Hill. So he wrote Think and Grow Rich, Outwitting the Devil, which is kind of where I took a lot of the inspiration about basic impulses from, Outwitting the Devil. Um, but, you know, he talks about mastermind. And it always fascinated me when I learned about and read about, you know, mastermind from uh, Think and Grow Rich, where it's like having other people, even in different industries who have different, you know, uh, intelligence and different um, expertise, should I say, expert knowledge, but you overlap with each other, right? You overlap with each other and all, almost create a mastermind. So a, a separate mind, which is the collation of all your different experiences and uh, different, uh, you know, opinions, etc. And it always fascinated me. And I can definitely see the benefits in doing it because, you know, one prime example, one example I can give you is if me and you both read, think and grow rich right and we both read the same chapter but each of us is going to take a different thing and a different and we're both going to interpret it in a different way but yet if we come together then and we one obviously the accountability of us both reading that chapter we both know okay on uh, tomorrow by 6 p.m we need to share with each other what we learned from that chapter so the accountability aspect both of us have to read that book regardless of what happens we have to read it because we're going to come to that call and we're going to have to share what we learn so that's one aspect but the second aspect is by having these people who are also working around you, you can share those perspectives. So we could then get on that call and say, hey, from this chapter, I really took away from the fact that, you know, our mindset has to, you know, be in uh, focused in a certain point of way so that we can progress. While you turn around and say, hey, that's very interesting. I didn't take that away. But what I took away was that our mindset, we need to keep a clear space, right? We need to keep a clear space for our mindset to be clear. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I didn't pick that up, but. You know, and then bang, now I have two different perspectives, both very beneficial. And yet, you know, it's from the exact same text. 
And therefore, that's why it can be very helpful to have accountability around you, accountability partners, even if they're not friends. You know, it might even be someone who you don't really know that well, but you know they're working hard. You know, you, they might not be in, in your industry, but you know that they're pushing forward in their industry. But you can mm. share that, that work ethic, that drive, that vision, most of all, um, and push each other to, to new heights. I love the analogy of the two separate people reading the same book and sharing their insights. And one example of that is the person that put me onto the podcast for you is my friend, uh, Kyle. And mm. we very much do that. He's fully invested in trading. He's currently going through the the prop firm challenges. He knows where I am in the AI, the AI space, the podcasting as well. So just having individuals around you that want something more for themselves yeah. is so, so important. I want to go right back to one of the kind of first things we were talking about. And you mentioned the moment where everything changed when you were at that Conor McGregor fight. But before that, you'd mentioned that trading is all about controlling these impulses. And I'm wondering what was more of a catalyst? Was it the trading that motivated you to do all the self-improvement or the self-improvement naturally lead to trading? I think it was a bit of both because I'd always wanted to do more. I'd always wanted to uh, become better. I didn't know where, how I was going to do that. At the time when I came into trading, I'd actually owned a, I was, I owned an off license, which is like a corner shop, you know, like a, a yeah. liquor store, you will, depending where you are in the world. Um, so I owned that. So I was already trying business, you know, I was already trying business and I was trying to, you know, become successful. So I'd already, in terms of some form of self-improvement, I was already a little bit more you know, self-reflective and trying to be better, but trading kind of just really demands it. You know, trading itself and investing, it demands it from you. So therefore you have to, if you want to be successful, if you want to actually be a good trader or a good investor, you have to improve yourself. You have to essentially get to an element of self-mastery. Now, I've always been of the opinion that you can't truly master yourself, right? But you can consistently always get close, right? You can always improve to another level. But definitely there is a certain level of self-improvement and self-awareness you know, uh, awareness that you have to get to um, in trading. It's demanded from you. And therefore, trading definitely accelerated, you know, really put focus on it in comparison to just conventional business you know, conventional business and, and just being, you know, that hard worker in the room, um, trading really and investing really demands it from you and really pushes you in that direction because you recognize you need to control your greed, your fear. You need to be able to hold yourself accountable. Your discipline has to be at a different level. You know, you have to be able to think in terms of probabilities, which we're literally not naturally ingrained to do so. Uh, so it goes against nature in a sense. So therefore you're forcing yourself to be that self-improvement. You know, so trading really does push it on you. It's funny how you mentioned this as well, because the people in my life, such as my brother, who full-time trades, the difference I noticed in them once they started taking trading seriously is immense. Mm. I was wondering if you could go more into what your pursuits are right now and what you're known for and kind of why you do them. So I know of the Viper Group and the trading and I know of the podcasting. So I wonder if you can give me some reasons why you're part of them or why you started them and what else maybe behind the scenes that we don't know about what's next on the, the res agenda. Definitely. So in terms of uh, the Viper Group, for example, is teaching, it's education. Um, and then the podcasting is, 
don't know how I'd describe it. It's kind of like teaching, but it's not in a way. I don't know. But essentially, it all boils back down to one thing, which is I've always wanted to help people. You know, it's uh, even as a as a kid, I distinctly remember in primary school having the vision of being a, a superhero, and that would be the image of helping people. And uh, even as a kid, though, I didn't really watch superhero related stuff. I wasn't really into the comics or anything like that as a child. I used to watch the normal same cartoons as everyone else, you know, the Ed, Ed and Eddie and, you know, uh, what was coming, Recess. You know, I used to watch all the same sort of cartoons, nothing to do with superheroes, nothing really in essence you know, about helping people. So I don't know why, like it was always just there and it was always there, not only in primary school, but secondary school. And it would always be there in terms of, you know, when I would have friends, I'd always want better for them. I'd always want to try and help them. And even if they didn't want help, you know, even if they didn't need help, I'd always be trying to help. Them. Um, and no doubt probably might come across annoying to some people at the time, no doubt. Um, but it was like, I didn't know how to channel this, you know, this, this, this feeling and this vision that I had, you know, growing up as well, like I'm from Nottingham in, in the UK, which is a, it's a decent sized city, but everyone quite knows each other. And I always had this vision and I used to live in this house that would have the view of the city. And, um, you know, I remember distinctly so many times, like at you know, mornings and nights, I would look at the city and I would just say to myself, like, I want to help this city. I want to I want to be known in this city, you know, as someone who helped, you know, who did made a change, made a difference, you know, um, in a positive manner. You know, and it's all about legacy. And maybe it comes from obviously losing my father as a as a child. Maybe that's where that sense of you know trying to you know, make a mark in the world and, and help people comes from. Who knows? Um but yeah, that was always my idea, but I never knew how I was going to do it. I always just assume I need to get rich and that's the only way Then I have money and then I can help people, you know, because I have money to do it. Right. So then I could, you know, if someone's homeless. I can make them not homeless. Now, if someone's, uh, you know, starving, I can give them food, you know, and therefore that was my assumption that, okay, I just need to get rich. So that's why then obviously, you know, business to get rich. Okay. But then in reality, obviously that's not how it works, right? Yes. You can have this passion, but it needs to, you know, the passion is what matters most. So, okay. Trading, I actually enjoyed. So when I actually came across trading, uh, it was a friend of mine. And I essentially just, you know, keeping the story short, I just asked him, like, what do you do? Because he had a very nice lifestyle at the time. I said, what do you do? And he told me Forex. I said, that was gibberish to me at the time. I'd never heard of the word. So I said, like, what is that? And when he literally gave me a very brief breakdown of like, you know, I trade, you know, pound against the yen or gold against the dollar straight away i was very passionate but i loved the idea of it just those words those basic very basic uh, explanation i loved it and i i wanted to know more i wanted to do it so it wasn't even about money it was the passion of just hearing the i you know how the industry works or what you're essentially doing as a trader so that's when i knew trading was for me straight away is that i actually had this passion when i heard about it so okay trading passion no problem the thing with trading is though that it doesn't fulfill you other than financially right other than financially it doesn't fulfill you you're not helping other people you're not doing anything other than you building your finances right and yes you improve yourself and your mindset cool but it doesn't really do anything else for anyone else so then this other passion of mine the first passion of mine of helping people wasn't being fulfilled so i had actually been working in a, in a company quite well known at the time in the fx space and i was mentoring there uh, i was helping people there and Unfortunately, it turned out that place was, uh, wasn't a good place. It was a very toxic place. Very, you know, they weren't treating people right. So therefore, I left. And when I left, I had a lot of people there, obviously, who would have been sad and kind of left without any guidance, any help. So that's where the idea of Viper Group came from, you know, to, to be able to provide to those people, provide to those people who would otherwise be just left to their own devices, left potentially in a toxic environment, but also fulfilling 
that passion, that original passion of helping people, you know? Mm. So what I realized was, okay, you want to help people. You have expert knowledge in trading. And what better way to help people? Because I always wanted to help people be content, you know, to master their mindset and, and be content, not, uh, you know, not you know, care about what other people think, not allow society to tell them they're too fat, too stupid, you know, or too uh, slow to be able to, you know, do anything in life, you know. And I always wanted to help people, awake, you know, broaden their horizon and awaken their minds. How do you do that? You know, how do you do that when you're, you know, how do you get people to listen to you, first of all? Right. Because you, you haven't done anything. They're not going to listen to you just because you can say good words or you, even if your words have meaning, they're still not going to be inclined to listen to you. So, OK, how else can I help them? though? OK, I can help them now. I can help them financially improve their finance. Right. Get their improve their income, give teach them a skill set. So that's where that passion came from. And that's where I linked the two. I was like, OK, I can help people through giving them and providing them a skill set that will improve their financial side of life. While also, whilst I do that, teach them about mindset, tell them about these things so that I can improve them in all areas. So as part of Viper Group, it's not just the trading. We do, I, I run a monk mode in there. So like I'm trying to help people with discipline. So as we talked about, you know, getting off the weed, the alcohol, getting in the gym, reading consistently, making sure they're drinking enough water. That's part of the, uh, I consistently talk about psychology and general success. Um, you know, we talk about the trading and the FX, we talk about investments, we talk about financial foundations. So we're trying to do the work that is helping people, not just trading wise, but as a whole, you know, and then podcasting, I was actually passionate about before I even became a trader, but I always held myself back um, because of the thought of other people's opinions and what, you know, how I may come across, etc. So I'm just overthinking essentially, but it was always there. And, but I always assumed as well that I needed to have the perfect space. I needed to have my own studio with my own equipment. And I need tens of thousands to invest into this before I start. Um, so that's what, what I always thought you had to do. And in reality, obviously, as the maybe back then, maybe that was the case. Right. But the reality is I could have just done it on a laptop. You know, I could have just started, mm. which was most of all, just make sure you start. Uh, but anyway, once I realized you can actually hire spaces, you can hire these things, etc. I started straight away. So the passion was there. And, and at first I was very naive. I thought that, you know, because of like Joe Rogan and because of obviously the stature he has and, and the, and the you know, audience he already had at that point as well. Um, I assumed that I could just do what he does and just have people on and smoke weed and drink and, and just have, you know, funny conversations and people will tune in. Right. So, yeah, that was the recording with Riz. Unfortunately, it ended at this point, but we will definitely do one in the future. Um, one of the questions that was missed there was Riz more powerful with or without the buzz cut? And I was expecting some sort of funny answer, but he actually had something really insightful towards it. So maybe connect with him on Twitter, which is in the show notes, and get in contact with him that way and ask him if he's more powerful with a buzz cut or not. Anyways, thank you so much for listening.